The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast and it's pay-per-view day we bloody love pay-per-view day and when i say we obviously that means there is more than just i because joining me as always is the wrestling encyclopedia himself scottish danny how are we doing sir i'm doing really well thank you sir how's yourself mate yeah pretty good pretty good today we are looking at we have reached in our look back our timeline we are looking at the pay-per-view of slamboree 1996 now this pay-per-view is Pretty historic in a few ways. It's the last uh, ever WCW pay-per-view pre-NWO because obviously we know things are about to dramatically change in the wrestling world in two short weeks from this night. It's also the last time that the Battle Bowl lethal lottery kind of format is used by WCW. Other companies on a much smaller scale would go on and uh, use that format, but this is the last time WCW would use it. And it's also, for me, a a marker of how the business changes, literally in two short weeks. And with regards to Slamboree 96 here, we'll we'll do a direct comparison, Danny. Uh, This edition of Slamboree is... uh, The the date of the pay-per-view and so on, the the 19th of May, 1996, it's it's a time in wrestling where Eric Bischoff quite publicly states pay-per-view buy rates are down. The weather is turning, Things you get the lighter evenings in a lot of markets and so on. So people aren't staying in as much. And you know, certain sports are you know, coming to a conclusion in America that's quite big for, for TV ratings as well. So this tends to be one of the lowest ranked pay-per-views of the year traditionally with WCW. And that stands to reason here in 96 as well. It is the lowest buy rate, so literally by, you know, by proxy, I guess, but it's going to be the lowest amount of money taken as well, roughly. Uh, but they only made 110,000 buys for this pay-per-view. They pulled 7,791 fans to the arena, but only just over 6,000 of those paid for a gate of around £104,000. Now, you directly compare that to the same pay-per-view, give or take a, a day, you know, it's a year afterwards, Okay. 
the comparisons with the NWO angle and, and things all kicking off and going crazy for WCW is it, quite striking. This edition of Slambury, as I said, 110,000 boys. 97, just one year in one year difference, drew 165,000 boys. So you're looking at an extra 55,000 people buying the pay-per-view. Now, you think that's $50 a pop? That's a lot of money. Wow. We also have the attendance, as I mentioned, with 96. They didn't sell out. They had to give away over well over what you know 1500 tickets just to bulk the crowd up a little bit and even then didn't fill the arena in 97 it was a sellout and they sold 9643 tickets for a, a basically an income of 167000 and change so again they've made an extra you know 63 maybe $63,000 just on the gate alone and you add to that merchandise and, and, and other sales as well the, the difference I think in this WCW to literally 12 months away is quite dramatic Danny isn't it it really is that, that I was saying here listening to that my mind is just blown with numbers now I mean just wow I cannot wait to get into that era it's going to be exciting it's going to be exciting um this show itself, though, I mean, we'll run through it how we normally do and break it down and talk about certain points and probably probably skirt over other points because here I think that doesn't require massive in-depth conversation, but there are other moments that I think I've got to be touched upon. This show here, I think, is also an advert for how WCW, I don't know, I don't know how to word it, maybe the times are changing in WCW here mm. already. Or they're still basically that they're still clinging on to certain aspects of the past with some of the guys who are working this show. But then we're also seeing aspects of the future with the cruiserweights and the United States Championship match. And Eddie Guerrero has a good showing here as well. So it's almost like a bit of a transition time in the company. Now, by the time this pay per view aired, Scott Hall had already inked a contract, he'd already signed. Uh, I believe Kevin Nash had as well, but these are like pre-contract agreements so wcw was telling scott hall and kevin nash we will pay you this amount of money for this amount of dates that's the offer on the table hall and nash had signed them as well so they were committed but they nash and hall could back out if they wished but wcw could not wow so the so that the ink's already you know on the paper so to speak so I almost felt in the last couple of nitros we've looked at and parts of this show as well, that we're almost treading water a little bit, waiting for that big moment in a couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely, mate. And it's, I wonder if they actually watched this um, pay-per-view, if Scott Hall and um, Kevin Nash watched it. I would have went, right, I might go back to WWF now. <laughs> well, yeah, potentially. There's a lot here that they could have looked at and thought, oh, dear me. Uh, yes, we start, however, with our three-man commentary team, but it's slightly different for the pay-per-view to what we normally get on Nitro. We have Tony Schiavone as your play-by-play guy. We have Dusty Rhodes in his lovely red leather-type jacket. And we have the always fantastic Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, I really like this combination. I think if it was there every single week for a couple of hours... I might grow tired of certain aspects of the characters there. But on this pay-per-view, I think the commentary is one of the highlights. 
Yeah, definitely. And so is that um, beautiful red jacket that you pointed outside because uh, Dusty Rhodes would wear that in TNA, the exact same jacket. So, yeah, we have to give that a shout out. But I completely see your point of, um, yeah, um, he is a, Dusty Rhodes is a, a bit of a character, isn't he? Oh, without a doubt, my friend, without a doubt. Very interesting individual. Uh, but again, it's, it's uniqueness for me as well because as soon as he starts talking, you know who it is. And there's so many commentators now, mainly the play-by-play guys, I guess, not so much the color guys, but there's so many commentators now, especially in WWE, who are very much cookie-cutter versions of Michael Cole. Yes. It's like Michael Cole is the guy that they like. He hasn't got a Southern accent like Jim Ross, because that always, that always bothered McMahon. He hasn't got um, any, well, any real kind of accent, I guess. He's got quite a generic American announcer voice. And then for years afterwards, you had all these you know younger faces coming through that were effectively cooker-cutter versions of Michael Cole. You know, I mean, you'll know yourself, having been a WWE fan through that particular era, how many of them there were. And a lot of them, when they're talking on different shows, or if I go back and watch episodes of Raw, SmackDown, or whatever, I can't tell you who's on commentary unless unless they announce it. Yeah. Yeah. Straight away. That's Tony Schiavone. That's Heenan. That's Dusty Rhodes. Definitely. That's something that really stands out. Um, I just love the dynamic of all three here. Yeah, it's a great mix. Uh, what is an odd mix, however, is our opening contest. Now, for those who are unaware, the Lethal Lottery Battle Bowl format uh, has been building over the last couple of weeks on Nitro, and it's a common. It's basically, it's basically everyone's name is in a hat, and it's drawn out at random. So it's it's, it's forming random tag team matches, and the winners of those tag team matches go on to the second round, where they're drawn against you know other random combinations of wrestlers. And the winners of that then go into a battle royal at the end of the show and receive a world title match and a fancy bit of jewellery or some bloody nonsense like that. So we get some odd combinations drawn out during the nitros and so on. And one of those that has been kind of hyped a little bit on the last episode of Nitro and then heavily hyped in the first five minutes of this by the commentary team is we have Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors, on opposing sides. And a big selling point for this pay-per-view. Maybe I've overstretched a touch there. Maybe not a big selling point, but a big a big deal for this pay-per-view with regards to the commentators and uh, certain people talking about it is that we're going to see Hawk and Animal tie up. Hawk is partnered by Harlem Heat's Booker T. Sorry, Hawk is partnered by Lex Luger. Apologies. Animal is partnered by Booker T. And effectively, this kicks off the show and the crowd are kind of into this. But we find quite quickly, Danny, that changes as the event goes on, don't we? Yeah, it really does. Um, it was a very plodding match. Um, just before we get into it, I mean, uh, I was actually shocked that Lex Luger made it after that horrific bump that he took and that he wrote about 20-odd years later. <laughs> yeah, he looked okay, didn't he? Good, you know, bless him. Good old Lex. Battling, <laughs> battling through for the fans. Definitely. He was surely dedicated. But yeah, um, this was, I I could say this match was a disappointment to me because we didn't get the Road Warriors um, tussling it out, if I can use that word. Um, Not to the degree that I would have loved to see. No, you're spot on. I think this is another example of WCW. I was kind of saying we're going to get something and then we don't receive what they've mentioned. I wouldn't say promising because that's a bit over the top because the way they do this 
you know, it does make sense with regards to the sort of kayfabe aspect of a wrestling match. However, a big thing at the commentary at the start of the show and on Nitro and, and so on is anyone can face anyone. Hawk and Animal are going to face off. And we don't get that. And no. we, we do get Lex Luger coming out without any title belts, which straight away gets my back up. It's like, <laughs> come on, Lex, bloody hell. Um, there's even more talk then of the Road Warriors facing off on commentary. But we have a slow a slow start, lots of stalling. Um, Booker T and Lex Luger miss a couple of elbow drops on each other. Uh, but when when Luger misses one, we get a spin of Rooney from Booker T and then a big sidekick. I thought that looked pretty cool. Uh, Hawk ends up breaking up Luger being pinned at one stage. But Luger is cross about this. But Hawk is his partner. So Hawk has made the save and Luger is cross that he's not being pinned. That made no sense to me, Danny. That made no sense at all, didn't it? And then from there, it kind of just turns into a PS6 brawl, doesn't it? And mm. it's kind of just there. And then, um, yeah, a bit of a bit of a weird start. Yeah, it all ends up in a scrap. Everyone starts, you know, Lex and Hawk push each other because apparently Hawk is uh, trying to win the match is incorrect in Luger's eyes or some fucking nonsense, I don't know. They all start pushing each other around. Then we have a bit of a scrap. Everyone falls outside and it's a double count out. And the Road Warriors end up beating up Luger and Booker T. They leave. And we have the Road Warriors stood in the middle of the ring with their arms raised in a match where they weren't even partners. So, again, according to Bischoff uh, about this event uh, in interviews and so on, he's done. He basically, on the day, the Road Warriors were very unsure about facing each other. Neither wanted to lose the match, even if it meant Booker or Luger being pinned. So wow. this was the conclusion they kind of came to. So no, I mean, I've got makes... a note. Here, I've got a note here that literally just says this is bullshit. Yeah, that makes complete sense when you say that they were unsure backstage of what to do, uh, how it was going to end. Um, I love that the fans booed as well at the finish of this, rightfully so, because they were there thinking, "Oh yeah, the Road Warriors are finally going to fight," and we just didn't get anything out of it. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's. Uh... Sort of dangling in the carrot, I suppose, to the fans, and then you don't actually get a bite. It's it's a shame, but there we go. I mean, we're going to end up, I think, Danny, flying through quite a few of these tag matches because there's a lot of matches on this card, and a lot of them of sort of stacked with filler and stalling and so on. So I think if we just kind of skip through them and and stop when we get to stuff we enjoyed, shall we say? Yeah, definitely, mate. Let's do it. Okay, next up, we have the team of Public Enemy, who have been drawn alongside each other, which is incredibly convenient for them. And they are facing the team of Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, and Chris Benoit. Now, something that popped in my head here that is absolutely insane. You look at those four guys making their entrances. Public Enemy, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not in any fit shape at all. I mean, well, I am a shape. I'm very round, but it's um, it, I'm not in shape. But Public Enemy are not the most physically trim guys in the world, but they look good. You know, they look they look young. Yeah. They, you know, they're great. Benoit obviously is just a machine. He look he's got an ounce of fat on him. He is shredded. Looks incredible. Kevin Sullivan here. He still looks like a little old man in his dressing gown. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? But um, one thing I noticed about this is I'm hoping, because I've read about um, Chris Benoit and Taskmaster having an amazing feud in 96 or 97, I'm hoping this is the start of it. 
it does it does have some very very good matches involved in it but i mean the, the point i was i was looking at really was when you see these four guys coming down the ring if somebody was to say to me you know uh, 10 15 however many years ago it was let's say 96 97 whatever that kevin sullivan in pushing 25 30 years would be the only one still alive i would be amazed Oh no, that's it's very um it's a haunting thought, isn't it? Just mm. I mean, yeah, it's just crazy. And um I believe two of them died in the same year, two thousand and seven. Yes, yeah. I mean it, they all died much younger than they should have as well, for for varying reasons yeah. that we don't need to go into here, but I mean people can look that up themselves. But yeah, it, it's a shame how the wrestling business can affect people, I guess. Definitely, mate. Uh we do get a nice spot with Benoit here though where he mimics public enemies dancing at one point that was that showed some personality didn't it <laughs> yeah which is something benoit tends to be quite short of but that was quite funny i got a kick out of that definitely right uh, on the outside we have chaos though after we've had a, you know, a few exchanges in the ring but on the on the outside there's chaos chairs are being thrown kevin sullivan gets put on a table benoit makes the save more chairs are thrown and then kevin sullivan throws a chair at rocko rock the chair is open, so the legs are like you know out as four prongs, and it goes in the crowd. There's people <laughs> sat in the there's people sat in the front row getting hit on the bonds by Kevin Sullivan lobbing a chair around Danny. I'm amazed that that fan must have had some free Dungeon of Doom T-shirts or something like that to uh, say sorry. But yeah, I found that was crazy. But um, this is WCW after all. <laughs> yeah, that was very, very crazy indeed. Speaking of Dungeon of Doom T-shirts, have you seen the um, wrestling It's Fucking Weird chain wrestling T-shirt? Yes, I love it with uh, the booty band on it. Yes, well, the Zodiac is the face, yes. I mean, if anyone's oh, yeah. interested in if anyone's interested in some Nitro Nights merchandise or uh, any merchandise from the shows on SJP World Media, some of them do cross over. For example, the Hall of Lame shirt from Chain Wrestling also you know, touches base with Nitro Nights with regards to our, shall we say, dislike, mild dislike towards Ed Leslie and his characters and we have a, a wrestling is fucking weird t-shirt with um, the Zodiac's face upon it and so on. The link to the merch store for Nitro Notes and all the other shows on SJP World Media will be in the comments of uh, well the description sorry of this show on your podcast player when it comes out or you can find it on our Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. Make sure you go and check that out. But yeah this fan gets hit by a chair Danny and then we get more chaos and then public enemy go to put Benoit and Kevin Sullivan through a table. Sullivan gets out of the way. So Benoit takes the brunt of it. And then Sullivan kind of buggers off and public enemy win. Have I got that correct? Yep. You've got that hundred percent correct. Unfortunately, because it was a bit of a naff finish, wasn't it? It was kind of all over the place, wasn't it? Yeah. Think... And then, oh, sorry. sorry. No, oh, no, I was going to say, um, and then Rock or Rock pins Benoit uh, with Grudge holding down his leg, which mm. um, after Chris Benoit's already been through a table, I don't think he would need help uh, with his to have his leg held down. Well, yeah, potentially, potentially. But uh, as you said, I think this is just setting in motion the start of that Benoit-Sullivan feud. There's a few moments that literally popped to my head. Now, we won't go into them now because spoilers for yourself, obviously, and for the people listening if they're following along with WCW for the very first time. But 
there's certain moments that pop into my head that are really quite iconic shots and iconic iconic scenes that they're fighting in. So yeah, yeah that, it's going to be interesting. And then yes. um, Kevin Kevin Sullivan faked a knee injury. Um, did you think that was real or was he just pulling a, a heel move here? I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe we'll find out on Nitro. Who knows? Yeah. But, but, but it's WCW. It made everybody mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> Our next contest, however, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in direct comparison to our opener because we have regular tag team partners. Well, more than that, we have brothers nonetheless on opposing sides. And we get the square off, the face off, the, the, the engagement in the ring that were promised. We have Sergeant Pittman, and he is tagging with Scott Steiner. And they're facing the team of your personal favorite, Danny, the booty man. And he is tagging with Rick Steiner. Now, already, this show feels like it's just hammering through the matches. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, we've seen a lot of guys. A lot has gone on. It's been crazy. There's been chairs, tables, a lot of fast finishes and so on. But we've seen lots of lots of characters on screen. So I bought the little... Uh, the little bottom screen app on the on the WWE network. We're only twenty four minutes in. Oh wow! I know it's a bit crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's definitely all over the place. But I wrote down um, just when I thought we were safe from the Booty Man because we haven't seen him for a good three weeks on Nitro. Mm. So, but yep, he reappears here, um, looking a bit leaner. I would say. I don't know if you noticed that, Sai. To be fair, Danny, he does. He looks in great shape. Yeah, um, uh, but I mean, uh, my eyes were were drawn away. I think Kimberly here is absolutely stunning. She looks incredible. The, the booty babe, as she is described as, she looks fantastic here. Definitely, when you could see her, if uh, Brutus wasn't hogging the camera. Yeah, get out the fucking way! I don't want to look at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the start of the match, everyone stood in the ring, kind of eyeballing each other, and Tony Schiavone makes a comment of the Steiners staring at each other. Bobby Heenan responds with, that's because they can't figure out who the other guy is. <laughs> and it's and it's just the first line of Heenan being absolutely superb. He, he's, he's on such good form throughout this whole pay-per-view. He is fantastic, isn't he? Definitely. I've always said um, Bobby Heenan and Gene Oakland were two of the most important um, signings that uh, WWE supposedly stole away from WWF um, in quotations. <laughs> but yeah, Bobby Heenan's brilliant. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> McMahon can have no complaints because he stole them away from the AWA. He even told, exactly. I'm, I'm 99% certain he even told uh, Gene to not fulfill his bookings and just come to WWF now to try and dump Verangania in, in the dirt. I know he did that with certain wrestlers. I think he did that with Gene as well. But yeah, yeah. he can't really have any criticisms. It's very easy for the sort of revisionist history of the WWF to talk about eric bischoff and turner's money and oh this big you know multi-million dollar company is going to try and put this little family you know our family ran company out of business it's bullshit he put so many people out of business in the territory days people that depended upon their wrestling companies for for their livelihoods you know verengania lost his home i mean that's more so Verangania's fault because he was a terrible businessman, but that is what it is you know i'm not gonna get into that now. that's a whole different show danny <laughs> definitely mate. <laughs> But yes, there we go. Um, also, I've, I've got a note here that might be a little bit random, but when you think of Teddy Long as the SmackDown general manager, uh, he's, he's very slight in build. He has suits that are oversized and so on. Uh, Teddy Long is here alongside Sergeant Pittman. He is his new advisor or manager. 
hasn't he got a massive head? He does, doesn't he? <laughs> he looks think... like it looks like Teddy Long from 2007, but he's been inflated. Yeah, <laughs> he looks the exact same, doesn't he? Just a bit bulkier. But yeah, um, I remember reading uh, something about that where when he signed with WWF, he just spent hours and hours on a treadmill, and that's how he lost all his weight. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I suppose those extra baggy suits make his head look even smaller. <laughs> Could be a strategy that I need. <laughs> there we go. Uh, the match, I mean, first of all, the, the crowd in this pay-per-view, I think for the majority of the show, are quiet. They're not interested in a great deal of what's going on. Here, we do get a little bit more involvement from the crowd. Um, first of all, the booty man is, is getting beaten upon for the opening few minutes of the match. So that's, uh, you know, always nice. I enjoy that. We get an incredible suplex by the Pitbull here, Sergeant Pitman, on Rick Steiner. But he damn near drops him on his head and neck, doesn't he, Danny? Oh, he does. That did look nasty. It was not great. It was not great. Uh, but then we get the moment we've been waiting for. The Steiners tag in and face off. And then the crowd get into this. This is exciting now. And there's no egos here. There's no, oh, we can't get beat or we can't face each other. I don't want I don't want my brother looking better than me or any of that nonsense that we get from the Road Warriors earlier in the show. These guys just go at it. And we have yeah. suplexes. We have Steiner lines. It, it, it's pretty hard-hitting stuff, as you would expect from the Steiners, but against each other. And I think this is a, a, just a brilliant wrestling exchange, that is, isn't it? It really is. And if we have to sit through the Booty Man and Craig Pittman to see this, it's totally worth it. Indeed. Indeed. We get another great line from Bobby Heenan here as well. He talks of... Uh, well, there's talk of, you know, he's, he's, he's saying like Scott Steiner as the younger brother having to wear all the hand-me-downs from Rick Steiner. You know, you know, the old T-shirts, the jeans with the holes in, the tattered trainers, the hand-me-downs from your big brother, Scott. Think about that when you're punching him. And then he just drops in the line, you know, Rick had to wear hand-me-downs as well. His mum had this one red dress before Tony Schiavone cuts him off. And it's just absolute gold again, isn't it? That's oh, perfect timing uh, for him to drop that in. Yeah, so good. It is excellent. It is excellent. Uh, eventually, Rick Steiner pill uh, Rick Steiner, sorry, pins the pitbull with a German suplex and a neck bridge combination, which I always, I always enjoy seeing somebody pin somebody else with a neck bridge. I think that goes back to my days as a kid and seeing Mister Perfect using the perfect plex potentially. But I always get a kick out yeah. of that. No, definitely, mate. It's a really good finish and it's realistic. Mm, indeed. So we have Rick Steiner and the pitbull going through to the next round. What comes up next, however, is... Well, put it this way. Danny, how many times do you think in our nearly 50 episodes of Nitro Nights you've dropped in the hint that you want to watch more WCW Saturday Night? How many times? I would say about 15, 16 times. <laughs> okay. This right here is why I do not want to watch WCW Saturday Night. <laughs> okay. We have the Blue Bloods versus Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street. Now, the Blue Bloods consist of Dave Taylor and William Regal. Now, Regal, I'm, I'm taking him out of the equation. He is superb here. His facials, his comedy, all about it. Absolutely great. Crowd interactions, brilliant stuff. As much as I love Jim Duggan, this is 1996. It's not, the, I, I don't think, this is one of those moments of almost 
harking back to the past as opposed to looking to where they're going in the future. VK Wall Street is already a very tired gimmick. Dave Taylor was great when we saw him on Nitro recently, but here I don't think we see enough of him to make an impact on the match. Yeah, it's it's not great. I mean, talk us through this one, Danny, and 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 what you thought and, and the finish that we had. Well, it was kind of I completely agree with you. It did feel like a less than match. It felt like sort of like um, a pre-show match that could be on the pre-show. Um, Duggan hits a um, a pretty good side slam. Um, that's one of his main moves, but. I have to give credit to um, WCW because we saw uh, not too long ago Hacksaw Duggan versus VK Wall Street. So they were planting the seeds for this uh, pay-per-view match here. But then it also it just ends with um, Duggan decking his own partner and then um, he kind of just tapes his fists. Hacksaw gets the one, two, three on Taylor. Yeah, Duggan just hits everyone. And it's like, well, why? <laughs> why? Yeah. It's a bit mental, isn't it? <laughs> I think there's an issue with this kind of format, which, you know, we might as well get into it now. I was going to talk about it later. We'll get into it now. The, the problem we have with these kind of matches is, yes, they're intriguing. I want to see Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner. I want to see Hawk and Animal. I want to see combinations of Savage and Flair together, even though they're feuding. However, barring the Savage and Flair stuff, there's no stories going in. Mm, or so, very little yes exactly exactly so we have these unique combinations these oddball teams sometimes facing off against established teams you know partners facing each other and so on which is intriguing but i think it gets tired very quickly and that's the issue i think we've already hit at this point in the show i'm yeah. already a bit tired of seeing partners arguing and fighting each other it's amazing you say that because at 41 minutes, 16 seconds, I had to stop this show to have a break and <laughs> I didn't go back for another two days. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, I've got it's, a not, it, it's not the only uh, break I'll have because I had to time this uh, so that I could pick it back up on the network. <laughs> so if anyone's listening, 41 minutes, 16 seconds was my limit. I, uh, the start of this match... I had to make a decision because I put this on a couple of days ago and I can remember the beginning of this match. And then the next thing I know, I open my eyes and the barbarians in the ring. So I've literally <laughs> fallen asleep. Wow. That's a quite a, you missed uh, about two matches. Yeah. So I just made the decision then to turn it off because I'm going to go back and watch it again and, and so on. So yeah, this portion of the show is quite a slog to get through. It really is. Uh, as Danny said, Duggan hits everybody and then wins with a taped fist. Uh, he and VK Wall Street are not getting on, but they're through to the next round. We do get another little gem here from Bobby Heenan, however, when he, he sounds like he's he's praising Jim Duggan. And he says, it's amazing seeing this guy back in the ring after that operation. And Tony Schiavone asks, what operation? And Heenan responds, he's a brain donor. <laughs> which is just again just is so f he's just his delivery is just so quick and he, he's just comedy gold here i think yeah, Bobby he really is I mean, he's delivering such gold lines what do we get next then danny so next we get um Stein, uh, dick slater and uh bobby eaton versus alex wright and disco inferno in a um another battle ball match 
Yeah, yeah. We have problems with the music, I think, here as well, don't we? And I- More, um, oh, yeah, yeah, when he was walking out, they just, yeah. I did, what, what were they thinking of production? So, I, I think Alex Wright's music you can't hear properly. I think Eaton's music starts playing during Dick Slater's entrance. And I think Disco Inferno's music is is comes in part way through Alex Wright's entrance, maybe. They're all over the place. And I get the impression now, looking back at these entrances, that they're already thinking, shit, we've got so much on this show. So they're hurrying people down the aisle, almost. Yeah, that is a great point, because they have to get through about 13 matches on this card alone. Mm, it's a lot, isn't it? I mean, you get, say, 12 matches, 13, whatever, on on an AEW pay-per-view now, for example, or uh, uh, WrestleManias in recent years, before it went two nights, you would have you know, numerous matches and segments that would you know take a long time. And Wrestle Kingdom in Japan as well, I guess, runs for quite a few hours as well. But those are all six, you know, five, six-hour shows, or mm. however long they may well go. This is a standard pay-per-view time. They have bought the standard amount of pay-per-view time to show this and trying to fit 12 matches or whatever you said, Danny, into that. It yeah. does really feel crammed at the beginning, doesn't it? It really does, especially uh, we'll get a lot of that later on with how short some of the matches turn out to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this particular one here, Bobby Eaton and Dick Slater against Alex Wright and Disco Inferno. I, I, I don't know if there's anything in particular you want to bring up. Are there any spots or whatever that you, you want to discuss, Danny? Because I've got barely any notes on this at all. I don't blame you, but there was one I wanted to mention was the highlight of this was when um, Alex Wright and Bobby Eaton were wrestling in the ring. Other than that, it's not really one to go back and watch. I mean, no one will, I certainly don't see this being an option on chain wrestling in the future. <laughs> well, you say that, you say that it's our two year anniversary in a couple of weeks. And Magsy and I have decided that just for you know giggles, we're going to purposely both pick something awful. So maybe I can link to the, no, I'm not going to link to this. I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the finish eventually comes when Dick Slater nails the Disco Inferno with his own boot, as in as in Slater's boot, and he gets the three count, and no one really cares. <laughs> yeah, the crowd were kind of just like out of it at this point. I think they're taking our um, route and just zoned out at this mm. point. <laughs> Yeah, uh, again, I think it's because you're seeing so much of the same thing. Mm. You know, it's, it's and again, there's no stories going into these matches. I mean, when you get a pay per view, say for example, I mean, this is this is May '96, so a month or two previous, you had WrestleMania, which would have been WrestleMania 12 in '96, I believe. Yeah. Now that would have been a, a good three, four hour show. You look across that pay-per-view. I don't have the card in front of me, so I'm literally just plucking stuff out of my mind here. But you had Sean and Brett in the main event. Big story going in. Uh, that was the, I believe that's the WrestleMania with Goldust and Roddy Piper. Yeah. Yeah? Big story going in. You know, there's other title matches on the card as well. There's tag matches that have a, a, a big story. I believe the Bulldog and Luger. No, not Luger. Sorry, I believe the Bulldog was doing something at this point as well and had a story going into it as well. I'm not sure if it made the main card. But everything kind of had a story to it, regardless of how small or short-term that tale was. Here, we're what? Four, five matches in, Danny? Five. Okay. And there's no story to any of them. Mm, yeah, it's just such a shame. But, I mean, like I do notice what you said about uh, the previous match feeling like a Saturday night's uh, match, because this kind of did too, didn't it? Oh, yeah, 100%. 
100%. I mean, when was the last time we saw Dick Slater on Nitro? Probably the wedding. I had to think back to that. I was like, I think it was the wedding or yeah. maybe an appearance or two afterwards, but nothing noteworthy. No, exactly. I, I feel that Nitro up to this point, I mean, it's literally changing You know, in our timeline, in our watch back, it's literally changing at this moment. But Nitro up to this point has been a 45-minute wrestling show. Mm. So if you have a couple of segments and a couple of matches, it's full. So the likes of Alex Wright, Disco Inferno may get the odd odd uh, odd performance, odd odd pop up on the show. Dick Slater won't get anywhere near the card, and so on. But when you get to a pay per view like this, where there's so many tag matches, you're not having just singles matches; you're having tag matches that obviously doubles the amount of competitors, of course. That I think they're really sort of looking now at their roster and thinking, bloody hell, okay, we need to bring that guy into the pay per view and that guy into the pay per view. And I, again, I think it just makes people not care. Yeah, too much of a thing is never a good thing. <laughs> well, I think it's quite watered down. I think I think the the name value, the star value, I guess, mm. is quite watered down in comparison to when you watch a Nitro. But there we go. Uh, somebody who does get a little bit of star quality, however, or, or a reaction from the crowd that dictates that, is Diamond Dallas Page. Now we haven't seen Page for a little while. He's apparently been homeless and, and destitute and broke and all this sort of stuff. But now he's got some kind of mystery financial benefactor, apparently, and he's returning. And he gets a he gets a really good reaction from the crowd when he comes out for his tag match here. Bearing in mind how dead they've been, or or not even dead, how how bored they've almost seemed. They're all about Paige here, Danny, aren't they? They really are. And um this is where I noticed that uh ddp's music had been overdubbed so this is where he must have brought in his iconic wcw theme maybe his uh benefactor paid for that maybe maybe <laughs> uh page is tagging with the barbarian and he is facing well they are sorry facing the team of humorous and meng so we have another team here the faces of fear you know split and, and, and across the ring from each other uh and again we get that kind of I suppose split in the company here where a lot of it is looking into the future and being a bit more, I, su- I suppose a bit more attitude for want of a better term, a bit more edgy. And then we have the old school or the very nineties aspect of things are still hanging around. I mean, you look at diamond Dallas page and Hugh Morris here, they're both wearing these bright neon tights, which don't really fit when you, when you picture WCW going into 97 and the NWO angle and so on. We have the booty man. Again, doesn't really fit with where we can imagine the company going. And Dick Slater is, is very similar as well. And you consider how close we are to Scott Hall arriving. It's quite spectacular how there are so many aspects of the past still hanging around, Danny. It goes back to what you were saying at the top of the show, Si. It's like, um, it really is like a, a tale of two shows here. Mm, it's almost yeah it's almost like a split personality in the in in this wrestling company itself but Mm. yeah there we go uh the the match only really gets going i think when we get the inevitable face-off between meng and the barbarian and they're not gonna take the road warrior path they want to beat the shit out of each other these two don't they they won that pay-per-view money and they won the show off on um on this pay-per-view but one thing i loved about this was barbarian using ddp as a weapon against meng oh yeah he press slams him doesn't he, he lifts him above his head and drops it that, that was so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a great highlight uh we get a top rope elbow drop from hugh morris 
And I don't know what happens here. I don't know if there's a timing issue or they have to call it on the fly a little bit because Hugh Morris climbs to the top rope to hit an elbow drop. Diamond Dallas Page attempts to get over to him, doesn't quite make it, and Morris hits the elbow. Lies across his opponent. When the referee counts one, he gets up and then kind of just looks around. And for a split second, he doesn't quite look like he knows what he's doing. Mm. And then he sort of goes, oh, I'm going to do one more. And he climbs back up to the rope for another top rope elbow drop. And this time, Page manages to grab him and crotch him on the top. So I wonder if that was supposed to happen that way and it was just bullshit. Or if it was supposed to happen with Page stopping him the first time. I'm not 100% sure, Danny. What did you think about this? Yeah, I would go the latter on that. But, I mean, it all kind of just turns out into an all-out brawl. And um, we get a double pin, DDP and Barb. Barbarian win. Mm. Yeah, I mean the finish I thought was quite clever to be fair because we get two big boots and you know both guys hit the deck, both guys are pinned. The referee does a double count. So effectively both teams are winning and losing at the same time in a way. But Page has his feet under the rope. So the pinfall on Diamond Dallas Page doesn't count. So the other pinfall does. So I liked that. At first glance I was a bit like what the hell is going on here? But then when we got the replay, I thought, oh, that's really clever, to be fair. Yeah, it's something I would have thought would have been saved for a main event angle, but it's nice to see. I mean, they have to switch up the finishes sooner or later on this card. <laughs> mm. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, next then, Danny. Well, next we get Big Bubba Rogers and Stevie Ray versus Fire and Ice, who we've been really high on, um, Fire and Ice, for the last uh, month or so. So, um, what did you think of this match, Si? Um, I thought it was a bit ploddy, if I'm honest. I thought it didn't really get going. Um, there's a lot of punchy, kicky nonsense that you, uh, the term you and I use quite regularly, the sort of punchy, kicky bullshit. Uh, Scott Norton spends quite a bit of the match at the beginning getting worked over. Eventually, Ice Train does take control of the match, but it is quite ploddy, and, and Big Bubba's a, a massive guy. Fire and Ice are massive guys as well. But it's not like when we saw Fire and Ice face off against, say, the Steiners, and everyone was suplex- suplexing each other all over the bloody place. This is two big guys facing off against two big guys, and it's all punchy, kicky bullshit, I think. Yeah. Uh, one thing I uh, noticed was um, just how plain um, Big Bubba Rogers looked. Um, mm-hmm. When we began this, he was on the first Nitro, and he looked... Uh, completely different he actually looked like he was a character on that this it just looks like he just turned up um out of what eric bischoff would say like he looks like a motorcycle uh, gang member because during his entrance uh, bischoff plugged once again hogwild and said we're going to be going to sturgis in august um bubba rogers just looked kind of plain here and just a t-shirt and just trousers didn't he yeah, yeah, this is true. Oh, I didn't mind that look, to be fair. I understand where you're coming from, a bit, with yeah. it being a bit plain. But no, I, I didn't mind it too much. I mean, Rogers is, is the big boss man to me. That's yeah. the guys that, you know, and I'm, I'm talking not the boss man in the black security gear from the Attitude Era and so on that, that you know, you being a touch younger than I, I, I say a touch, I'm being very generous to myself there. You're quite a bit younger than I. But uh, my, my memories of the boss man are, the the proper you know prison warden blue sh- shirt and so on so i mean this plainer darker look i don't mind it so much but it's it's still not the boss man to me 
yeah, that's how I feel. It's, it's just like um, he's kind of just there. Um, he, I get he's another character. I guess we haven't seen for a long time on Nitro, and it's kind of random him just showing up here to team with Stevie Ray. Yeah, again, they're trying to fill out the card, aren't they? They're trying to get mm. bodies on the show because they've come up with this. For, apparently, this is a, a Dusty Rhodes idea, which you can imagine this is a Dusty idea. Oh, uh, definitely. And, and Bischoff and many people backstage were not a fan of this format. Again, because of what I, what I said earlier on, there's no stories going in. It's quite difficult to advertise what's on the pay-per-view to get people to buy it when half of the show depends upon results from earlier matches in the show. Mm. But I mean, WCW didn't do a great job of promoting pay-per-views around this time anyway. But yeah, that's kind of the, the issue that Bischoff had with it, but they went with it anyway. And it was such a mess, of course, they never did it again. But yeah, very much a Bobby Heenan, sorry, very much a uh, Dusty Rhodes idea here. But yeah, it's just, there's just not enough to keep the crowd engaged again. We, we've dropped after we saw DDP and, and, and the excitement of that, they've dropped off again here. Yeah. They're so quiet again, aren't they? They really are. But um, uh, regardless of what I said about uh, Bubba Rogers, he more than uh, put in his effort here. Um, he did a lot of work. He hit some really good clotheslines. And then I loved the simplistic finish of just a double shoulder takedown. And, okay, uh, you enjoyed that, did you? Yeah, yeah. And Fire and Ice get the win. See, I thought it was crap. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good. I mean, if we both agreed all the time, this this would be very boring. But yeah, no, yeah. I, 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 that didn't do it for me. I thought, you know, come on, that's be a bit more inventive. But you enjoyed that. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed it because I think in comparison to wrestling today where they hitting 500 moves just to get a two count, one shoulder, double shoulder takedown. I can see your point as well. It's like, it is a bit like plain, but just one little realistic um, shoulder takedown to get a pin is pretty impressive. Yeah, okay. I, I'll tell you what, I see a point. I see a point and I, I agree with you, yeah. Uh, we then come to the last match from the first round of the Lethal Lottery Battle Bowl kind of um, format. And this is the one, I suppose, that is kind of the headline for this section of the show. Yeah. And we're an hour in. We're an hour in yeah. already. So that means that the whole hour could have been skipped. Yeah, potentially, mate. Potentially. And we have the team of Eddie Guerrero and Arn Anderson. I mean, first of all, what a tag team that could have been. Wow. And they are facing the combination of Ric Flair and Randy Savage, who, of course, have had numerous issues over the last few weeks on TV. First of all, we think that there's no Flair because he doesn't come out when his music plays. Then Savage comes out. And then Flair's music does play and Flair comes out. Flair running to the ring trying to take his robe off was quite a sight. Uh, Flair attacks Savage as R. Anderson is beating up Savage. We have Elizabeth and woman creeping down to the ring, looking a bit you know, sinister and so on. Um, there's a lot going on here. It's quite chaotic, but I think out of the first round matches in the Battle Bowl, Danny, this one for me is probably the best. What What did you think about, about what we saw here? I completely agree because this is the one that had the most story into it. Uh, for weeks and weeks on Nitro, we've been seeing this um, progress. And I love the fact that Eddie Guerrero gets some time to shine in this as well because he, even though this is an issue between Flair and Savage, ultimately, uh, with Arn Anderson, um, Eddie Guerrero being involved in this is is really a highlight. 
um, when Ric Flair was running down to the ring and then eventually just grabbed Randy Savage, I got Halloween Havoc uh, 95 vibes. I don't know if you did, Si. Okay, yeah, no, I get you. We get some odd moments here as well. I mean, Savage, Savage obviously wants to get at Flair, but I think he also wants to try and win the match. Yeah. And I think Flair wants to win the match as well. Why is that? He's also got this mindset of, I want to kick the, the, kick the crap out of Randy Savage. And it's kind of this battle between them as to whether they work, as to whether they, they try and win the tag match or fight each other. So they kind of settle for doing both. And uh, <laughs> we get some odd moments where on one occasion, Flair tags Savage in by elbowing him in the head, which is quite funny. Um, they they get Arn Anderson tagged in as well by dragging Eddie Guerrero across the ring and making him tag. Savage then swings for Flair as Arn Anderson comes in and starts battering Savage. The crowd are now coming alive, aren't we? Because again, Danny, I think you're right because there's more of a story for this. People care about this yeah. more. The interactions between Eddie Guerrero and Ric Flair are fantastic. The, the, Flair's bumping for all his, his drop kicks and so on. Really, really good stuff. Savage jumps Flair in the ring, though, after a lot of messy goings on. And as this happens, Arn Anderson DDTs his own partner for Flair to crawl over and make the cover. And I've just got a note here that says brilliant horseman shit because it's Arn Anderson sacrificing himself to get Flair into the match for the world title. Yeah. That is enforcer horseman stuff. Yeah. That was so good, mate. And then the post-match with Arn Anderson and Ric Flair just absolutely destroying um, Macho Man into the ground and things like that is really, really good. It's so brutal. And Savage did take a big beating. Yeah. Yeah, including a slap from Liz as well, which was uh, (laughs) interesting. But we then get Tony Schiavone explaining how the second round is going to work. Uh, One team will receive a bye because of the opener to the show being a double count out. So they will advance straight through to the battle bowl, uh, battle Royal at the end of the night or well towards the end of the night. So one team will be drawn as a buy. And then the other teams will be randomly drawn against each other to decide who else will be joining them. We then get a great American bash advert and it's WCW guys sat in a sunny little garden, having a barbecue with a family and Scott Steiner looks like he's having a whale of a time, doesn't he? He does, and I noticed um, that's one of the rare times you see Scott Steiner actually wear a smile on his face. A big, cheesy grin, wasn't it? (laughs) Yes. You can count the amount of times he smiled uh, throughout his wrestling uh, career on one hand, and this is one of them. But this advert was really well done. Yeah, I I liked it. Quite cheesy, quite 90s, but Mm. I don't mind a bit of that. Yeah, <laughs> and at that point, I had to take another break at one hour and 14 minutes on the WWE Network, um, my second break of this pay-per-view, but I came back a day later. Okay, so you watched it in three segments over three days. Yeah. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, we come back to the arena, and Mean Gene is with three waitresses from Hooters. And they're going to do the draw for the next round. And we're going to run through the matches ourselves anyway. So I don't think we need to list the draw that was made. The only thing of real interest is that it's Fire and Ice who received the bye straight through to the final stage of this weird tag team battle royal type tournament effort, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. 
Our next match, though, is the first one-on-one contest of the evening. And my God, am I ready for a one-on-one match? I've seen enough tag matches in this show to last me a year, I think. Yeah, and we get a brilliant, I mean, two great workers, Brad Armstrong versus Dean Malenko. Yes, exactly. And Dean Malenko is the WCW Cruiserweight Champion. Uh, Atami was the first champion, and then he dropped it to Malenko not long after he won it. So the very first WCW Cruiserweight Champion we've never seen. Perfect. <laughs> Brilliant WCW. Oh, dear. Um, 15 seconds in to this match, because they, they, they tie up, they hit the mat, and we have counter for counter and various different moves and so on. 15 seconds into this match, it's already the best best match of the night for me. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, we've just as you said, it, it can be exhausting watching this pay per view. But yeah, uh, when that one on one match was announced, it was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yes, and Dean Malenko is just an absolute wrestling machine, isn't he? He is. He yeah. is superb. And Brad Armstrong is, is great as well. I, I think the only issue you get with these two is, is there is no personality. Dean Malenko is a wrestler, and there is nothing wrong with that. But when you're up against Brad Armstrong, who struggles in that aspect as well, I think you're literally going by the the, the wrestling itself, the in-ring product itself, which is fine because I love that. I don't need all yeah. the story and that, but I'm, I'm aware many, many people do. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's good that it's on this pay-per-view. Yeah, but the crowd, again, just goes silent. And I know there's not much of a story going in, but it is a title match. And these two guys are putting on an absolute masterclass of wrestling. Yeah. But they're just silent. They just don't give a shit, this crowd. They're not interested. And I can understand that with some of the tag matches because it was punchy, kicky bullshit, like we refer to it as, Danny. But this isn't. This is wrestling. And this is very, very good stuff. And they're not interested. Oh, it's such a shame, but... I think this is what happens when you just put throw a load of matches on. I mean, we said that earlier. The first hour is largely skippable. Not all skippable, but um, it really picks up um, after the first hour with the um, Eddie Guerrero, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Macho Man match. And I think if they put this on in the opener instead, the crowd would have been more into it. That's a great shape because they're ready to watch some wrestling and you get all the near falls, all the clever submission moves. It wouldn't have mattered. I think that there's no big promos or you know, charismatic interviews or big story going into this. It's a title match. And these guys would have, I think, won them over with how good they were. But here they've already sat for over an hour of stuff. They're not that arsed about. So they're fighting. They're really fighting an uphill battle. I think. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, we we can get into this match because it's the like you said, it's the first match that um, it's just the singles. Yeah, I mean, Brad Armstrong early on misses a drop kick, which Melenko does throw himself to the floor for. So that's one little gripe I have there, I suppose. But after that, I mean, after the beginning, sorry, the beginning is very much you know back and forth, quick pinfall attempts, exchanges of submissions and counters, and so on. Dimalenko goes for a test of strength. But as Armstrong goes to put his hand up and is distracted, Malenko drop kicks him in the knee. That was fantastic, Danny. That looked re- so realistic. Um, I love um, Brad Armstrong's punches during this match as well. So legit. Mm. 
Yes, very much so. Uh, something else I've not really seen a great deal of. As Dimalenko continues to work the knee, he's constantly you know applying spinning toe holds and various other submissions and and you know dropping him on the knee, etc. Uh, he ties up Armstrong in a tree of woe, and then hits another drop kick to the knee. But the precision of it is superb. He's not just throwing a drop kick to this guy who's tied up in the corner. He's aiming for the bad knee with the drop kick. I just thought this is so good because that they are telling the story in the ring. Yeah. Armstrong has a bad knee. Malenko's working over it. He's building up to his Texas Cloverleaf finish. I loved this. Definitely. I hope it's something we see a lot more of in the coming um, years of Nitro. Mm. Yes, indeed. We get told by Tony Schiavone here, which in, in true WCW fashion, we've, so, we've got the match of the night so far, so we'll just cut the cameras away and look at the announce table. Why the fuck not? Uh, we have... Um, uh, we're told by Tony Schiavone that this is the first time that WCW pay-per-view is being broadcast in Spanish and the first time it's being broadcast in Mexico. So that shows growth for the company, I guess, Danny. Yeah, that does actually. It's like, wow. I, I, I just assumed they did that since the beginning, but yeah, as you can see things are definitely growing. Indeed. Uh, Dimalenko gets caught coming off the ropes and, Brad Armstrong then has a little fight back. Hits a it's a great looking power slam. Uh, hits a top rope drop kick, and then applies the Texas Cloverleaf himself on Dimalenko. You know, it's Dimalenko's move. This I wasn't too much of a fan of because I mean, as great as the power slam looked, and it was great, the top rope drop kick looked fantastic as well, and the Cloverleaf is is a brilliant submission move. I'm a big fan of that that hold. He's just completely forgotten that he's got a bad knee. There's no yeah. selling of the knee that Malenko has been working over the whole duration of the contest, Danny. That's what I noted down as well. It was like, oh, just it, I guess he might have forgotten about it. Maybe it was just because it was a high-pressured situation on pay-per-view and he kind of just forgot. But mm. yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, big shame, big shame. Eventually, Di Malenko wins with that crazy-looking gut-buster move from the top rope. But yeah, I thought this was great. What, what did you think? Just summarise that match. What did you think? I loved it, but um, just a few points, like we said about the selling, but the finish was amazing because you don't see that every day off of the top rope, um, the gut buster, and then Dean gets the clean one, two, three. Yeah. yeah. And rightfully so. Yeah. First defense on pay-per-view. The guy's a wrestling machine. Superb. And we're going to have, we're going to have some great fun watching Dimalenko in the, in the coming weeks and months. We're going to see some fantastic matches, Danny. I can tell you that now. Definitely, mate. Would you say this is prime Dean Malenko? Um, I think that's difficult for me to answer fairly to, yeah. to, to Malenko because I've not seen much of his work when he was out in Japan. And he obviously worked in WWE as well. But that kind of early 2000s era when they had the light heavyweight title and he was part of the Radicals and so on. Again, I've not seen masses of that either. So it'd be difficult for me to be, to be you know, fairly judging, I guess. If I had to make a decision, I would say, yeah, from this moment onwards for the next year or two, this is the, the best of Malenko in my eyes. But there's so much of Malenko I've not seen, it'd be unfair of me to you know, recommend that. Cool, mate. Cool. But we're going to see some great matches. So that's, that's what yeah. we look forward to in the coming weeks. So Definitely. <laughs> Speaking of the coming weeks. Oh, we got another promo. Blood runs cold, Danny. Blood runs cold. Coming to WCW. I'm wondering who that is and will it come at winter time? Are you still not do you still not know who it is? 
Not fully, no. Um, I believe uh, Chris Bennis tried to tell me the other day, but uh, I cut him off. <laughs> Shut your trap, Bellis. <laughs> Don't do it, mate. Don't do it. Don't ruin it for him. It's going to be exciting seeing his reaction. But yeah, Blood Run. And this was a different promo as well. They spent a bit more money because there's moving parts and things all swirling around, isn't there? Yeah, it was um, a bit longer than uh, the ones they've been playing on Nitro, but I just assumed that was because of the television time on, mm. uh, as compared to pay-per-view time. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, it's going it's to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Uh, we then have Mean Gene back with the ladies from Hooters, and they've all swapped their name tags around to confuse Gene. Oh, the laughs they must have. <laughs> That's very <laughs> odd, isn't it? <laughs> oh dear we then get uh more of the the drawing i guess of the second round and, and all that sort of stuff and gene making jokes about going back to hooters and, with the girls and eating wings and drinking beer and so on it's like oh gene give it up mate yeah we're, unfortunately we're going to get more of this i feel because i've seen some clips of uh, me and gene uh Pervin in 2000 and yeah we're not gonna get <laughs> we're not gonna get a break from this <laughs> but it's like it, it, to me it's posh perving he's not yeah. just being a, he's not just being a lech because gene's got that very distinctive voice and he always looks like you know really well dressed in his tuxedo and all that sort of stuff and he just says things like hmm lovely oh yes but in that distinctive mean gene voice it, it comes across quite funny you know he's a distinguished perv there we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, our next match is, again, I suppose, a reason as to why we're not going to be watching Saturday night anytime soon, Danny. We <laughs> yeah. have the combination of Dick Slater and Bob Eaton facing off against Duggan and Wall Street. And Duggan and VK Wall Street start fighting straight away. And I've got a note here that simply says, why? <laughs> My opening for this match is it feels like I've been watching this pay-per-view for three days. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. And I'm kind of... I was going to say that I'm over it at this point. I'm not. I was over it a while ago. I'm overseeing mm. the partners disagree and fight against each other now. Okay, we, yeah. get, we get the gimmick now. We get it. Can we just get on with the card, please? Can we have a team that work well together and, and so on? You know, it's like... Not everyone has to argue. There's a world title opportunity here. Surely, you know, you can just, okay, I'll work with you for a few minutes. Yeah. With that amount of money on the line. But there we go. Um, this again, and the whole match here is literally punchy, kicky bullshit. This whole match is that. There's no wrestling in this contest at all, to my memory, Danny. No, it's very 80s WWF superstars, isn't it? Hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, eventually Slater and Eaton win after Duggan hits his own partner and and Duggan uh, sorry VK Wall Street falls into a pinning situation and then Duggan and Wall Street fight again and I've just got a note that follows that says yawn hated it hated this finish um VK Wall Street just looks so clumsy walking into well basically falling into a roll-up pin um yeah not the best finish at all no no not at all uh, we don't even get a finish so the next match you know this is another one uh, this is obviously building for the future because we have here a public enemy and they have been drawn against flair and savage 
And obviously, Flair and Savage are having these disagreements and so on. No, Savage. Savage doesn't come out initially. Flair comes out with the ladies, throwing Savage's money in the crowd. And then Savage attacks Flair. The whole time this is happening, Public Enemy are in the ring just watching, wondering what the hell's going on. There's a lot of scrapping in the aisle. Flair sort of decides, I've had enough, and goes away. And then Public Enemy win. I love this. Um, this to me was the third most important match on the card. Um, just how it played out because the most shocking thing of this is Public Enemy can say that they beat Ric Flair and Macho Man on a pay per view. Oh my goodness! Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's amazing by doing nothing that they have won this. I would um, guess to say I have not seen a lot of Public Enemy, but I would guess to say this is their biggest win of their careers. Um, I, I don't really know. I, I suppose, I mm. suppose what well, Flair's involved. I mean, Savage is a big deal, but Ric Flair's you know, one of the gr- two greatest to do it, in my opinion. So yeah. I, I, I guess, yeah, I guess. It's, and uh, they yeah, get I, to the yeah, next round. Yeah. And it's, it's different to the usual crap we've already seen in some ways, but in another way, it's exactly the same because a team advances because two guys couldn't get along. Yeah. So that, that was a bit of a stinker, but I loved, um, th- I was thinking to myself, maybe this is another one of those, oh, we're rushed for time, so we'll just create our own little um, backstage angle here where w- the Flair and Macho Man don't even come out to the ring together. Mm. No, okay. Yeah, I can understand that. The crowd were wild for it as well. They got a reaction from the audience, which, mm. you know, at this stage, listening to that crowd, especially during some of the better moments in this show, like the Malenko match, for example, I, I, I think, you know, a cattle prod in the arse wouldn't get a reaction out of these, this crowd. That's just so no. you know mundane and disinterested. But yeah, yeah, public enemy go through to the next round. Okay, it's done its purpose, I guess. Flair and Savage can carry on their feud. It, it is what it is. Um, up next, we have Diamond Dallas Page and the Barbarian, and they're up against the team of the Booty Man and Rick Steiner. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page gets a reaction again. Yeah, that was really good to hear. And Booty Man does not. <laughs> he does not, no. No. Nobody's interested. Go home, Leslie. Um, <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page gets punched out the ring quite early and falls into the television cable and, and comically wraps himself up in it as he's staggering around. That, I thought, was superb. Loved it. That was very um, very hokey, but very fun as well. Mm. Uh, Rick Steiner gets a suplex on the Barbarian after the Barbarian misses a big boot. That looked really good as well. Yeah. Uh, a Steiner line as well from Rick Steiner for a two count. A power bomb by the Barbarian on Rick Steiner gets a two count. Then the booty man decides he's going to get in on the act and hits his high knee finish on the Barbarian. But DDP breaks the cover up. And then the Barbarian pins the booty man after Diamond Dallas Page elbow drops him whilst the booty man is trying to pin somebody else. Again, it's all a bit of a mess. It's all a bit all over the place. It, I don't think we've got a proper bar in the, uh, the cruiserweight title match. We've not had a proper clean finish to any of these matches so far. to my memory. No, it's just, it's all over. It's just a bit messy, mate, isn't it? It really is. But thankfully, uh, booty man is now out because, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just all over the place. Indeed. Indeed. What follows is a United States title match. And we have Mike Tanay joining the commentary team, which is uh, always a welcome addition. I love Mike today. 
Uh, the champion here is Conan, defending the United States title. And he is facing Jushin Liger. So I, my ears pricked up straight away when I heard that name mentioned. Uh, what did you think of this, Danny? Two very different styles, potentially, and, di- and different sizes in the competitors. How did you think this went? I love this. Um, this was another one of those, as uh, Liger was making his entrance, I was like, why wasn't there any build to this? It was one of those like just made me just angry. It was like they could have done something on Nitro, but I don't know if that's to do with um, Liger not living in the US or not bothering to fly to Nitro because he would just be in a 15-second segment or something. But, yeah, this whole match... Um, this was needed. It was one of those uh, matches that, okay, we need to get a- away from the tag matches. Here we are with the US Championship. Um, yeah, um, there was one thing. At one point, Bobby Heenan stated that he wants um, Conan to shish kebab um, Liger. And I was like, okay, you want him to stab him <laughs> on pay-per-view. So I got a nice kick out of that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few from Heenan here, to be honest. Uh, Heenan says about... Conan as he's coming to the ring because Conan's a very colourful fellow isn't he and he's got the mask and the, yeah. and the sort of weird cape effort and so on uh, and he says if Conan put a light in his closet he could get his clothes to match hinting he's <laughs> dressing in the dark which is fantastic Yeah, and Conan also has a K shaved in his hair uh, to do with a TV show he is starring in and it's, a, it's part of the character on the, on the TV that he's involved in and Heenan says that Conan got his hair cut at Kmart, to which Mike Tanay responds, actually, there's a story there, Bobby. And he then just cuts him off and says, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that because he was trying to explain it to the audience. And Bobby Heenan was like, nah, I don't care. You don't need to bring that up. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Um, we got a lot of mat work early on very fast mat work counter for counter again not too dissimilar i suppose to the cruiserweight match earlier on except this is maybe more of a mexican style than potentially the american style we saw in the cruiserweight contest uh, we also get a brain buster by liger for a two count which looked pretty pretty spectacular a superplex and a top rope splash by liger for two as well i mean there's a lot going on here danny isn't there there is yes excellent back and forth and um it's a lot better than Kainan's last outing at, um, on pay-per-view at Uncensored. So um, he's seemed to gel with Liger a lot here. Mm. I, I think what you've got there is Conan, when uh, a motivated Conan, I think is good. Yeah. I think he looks like a superhero. He, he's incredibly well put together. The guy is talented in the ring. He can wrestle a few different styles, but sometimes it's almost like he's not arsed. Mm. So I think a motivated Conan is, is very good. And I think Liger is, when it comes to that light heavyweight or cruiserweight, or as they mention in, in Japan, it's it's referred to as a junior heavyweight division. Liger's probably the best light heavyweight of all time. So I think if you've got a motivated Conan, which we have here, I mean, he, you know, this match is being broadcast in Mexico for the first time on pay-per-view. So it's going to be a big deal. So that's a motivation for Conan, I'm guessing. So we have a motivated Conan, and we have one of the best junior heavyweights of all time in Liger. It just ended up being a really good contest. And I, I think it's great to see that Conan can do this. Yeah. No, that's a great shout you made about uh, B- WWB uh, pay-per-view being broadcast in Mexico for the first time because uh, that's very, very smart of them to put this on the show, especially uh, yeah. with how good it is. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, we have a Fisherman Buster as well by Jushin Liger, which looked incredibly painful. Uh, an Alabama Slam from Conan, and I instantly thought of you when Conan hit that move because of the old hardcore Holly and the era that he was using that in. I know it was a time in wrestling that you're quite fond of. Yeah, uh, and a very painful move. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a big old snap down on the mat, isn't it? Uh, a Liger Bomb, but that doesn't get the job done. And again, we get this issue where the crowd, they're not that into it again. They're reacting to some of the near falls, but they're not giving the reaction I think this match deserves. You mm. know, And a, a lot of that, I think, is down to there's no story going in. A lot of that is down to that they're probably unaware of what certain moves mean. The Liger Bomb, for example, is Liger's finisher, or one of them. Now, he hits that in Japan. People are going to react. Here, that, that we're, we're aware of it because on commentary, Mike today points it out, but the crowd aren't going to be you know, aware of that themselves. So you also get the power drop from Conan, which is his finisher, and the crowd don't really react to that. So I, I think they've been a little bit let down with the lack of storytelling, and I also think they're a little bit let down because this crowd just seemed nonplussed about everything. Yeah, I noticed that, but at the same time, I've just counted there. This is the thirteenth match. I got it wrong. Actually, is more than thirteen matches on this card alone. Well, um, at this point, they had to be just knackered. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That's a really good show. That's a really good show. It's it's too much. I think too many, and it's not even just how many matches there are. So many of them are tag matches mm. that there's just so many people out there. That's a lot of people to react to, whether you're booing, cheering, whatever. Yeah. You know, four people in every match for the first hour. It's a lot, isn't it? It really is. And it's like um, after this match, we get um, an interview, um, sort of like a segment. And I remember as I was watching this, I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Because (laughs) (laughs) it was badly, badly needed a break for um, it's, it's like just for instance, like just um, a lot of heavy views us, I can't get through a lot of them without taking a break because too much resting sometimes is, is just enough for me. Like you need like some talking. Maybe that's because I just, I've watched wrestling through ruthless question era where there was more talking than actual wrestling. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, this was badly needed. This uh, mean Jean Ric Flair interview. Yes, yes. I mean, we didn't actually mention, but Conan retains the title with the power drop. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, is still your United States champion. But this segment with Mean Gene, uh, Flair comes out with R. Anderson, Elizabeth, and Woman. Um, he says Savage is locked up for the night. And then tomorrow he's having some form of medical mental health check because he's a nut apparently why did we get camera footage of that i would have loved that <laughs> yeah just savage lent on the you know the the psychiatrist's chair and so on yeah <laughs> um flair then turns his attention to steve mongo mcmichael who's normally on commentary for our nitros who's obviously not this evening because it's a pay-per-view and they have a different team and he runs his mouth by mongo for a little while then mongo arrives which i thought was quite cool the crowd reacts to seeing him and Flair throws out a challenge to Mongo. He and Arn, and Mongo needs to go get himself a partner. And Mongo just so happens to have his partner right there. 
And it's Kevin Green, another American football player. And it's quite a big deal because Kevin Green was, I think he was still active in the NFL at this point in his career. So that's, uh, you know, the crowd reacted to that as well. So that's an interesting thing that we're getting soon as well. I mean, Flair's Flair's a busy boy. He's got this stuff going on with, uh, with Savage. He's talking about the world title as well. He's still got an interest in that. He's now got this thing going on with Mongo. Flair's almost, you know, involved in, I would say, half the storylines at the moment. He really is. I mean, when does he have time to spend much of a man's money? <laughs> oh, I'm sure he finds time. But, I'm sure but no, I, I love this segment because um, it felt legit um, when uh, Mongo came out of nowhere because no one expected him to be there. He was thinking, oh, he just works on Mondays. But no, he just showed up um, just in normal clothes uh, without the gimmicks, without the dog. And he was just right in Flair's face. And he was like, I'm challenging you. And I, what I love about this is it's had at least six weeks build up of, um, of uh, Mongo's wife, Deborah, being in the crowd. This was excellent. Yeah. And again, the crowd react because we have a story going into mm. this. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? It makes a big difference. It really difference. does. What follows then is, well, called the Lord of the Ring. And it's the battle royal conclusion to the whole build-up of the evening. It's an eight-men battle royal, basically. But apparently, you can pin people as well. I don't, I don't understand. I don't, that wasn't stipulated before the match, was it? No, absolutely wasn't. No, I mean, again, I've got zero notes for this. I zoned out. I absolutely zoned out. The uh, ba- battle royals until you get down to the last couple of people because there's no room in the ring because of how many people are there even with this with only eight men it is literally punchy kicky bullshit all the time because they've got no room to do anything else so it's only when it goes down to the last couple or last four i mean the final four in a war rumble is always a big deal isn't it so you know that's a maybe the number that people look at that you start seeing a bit more from what's going on danny i think yeah definitely mate and I'm the same as you. This was a very zone-out match. Um, To me, this lacked... I know there was a story throughout the whole night of the build-up to this, but it lacked big stars in this match. Yes. 100% on the money, my friend. Sorry, carry on. I just wanted to let you know. I I completely agree with you. (laughs) No, um, it was like... It just lacked... um, It didn't feel important for... Um, you made a great point about um, the Royal Rumble 2000 a couple of weeks ago on Chain Wrestling, so about you did lack a lot of um, big stars like The Undertaker, Stone Cold, and etc. This kind of the same thing. It was like, okay, but where's the big stars? The only big one you had was, well, semi-big was DDP. Mm. And at the time, he uh, at the time, Page wasn't that big a deal. Mm. I mean, we've been we've been doing this now. Um, as we record, it's the very, very trail end of November. When we get into the first week or two of January, that's a year we've been doing this show. Now, in that time, we've gone from the very first Nitro onwards, watching everything they're doing. Page has spent his time battling Johnny B. Bad over the TV title. And yeah. then he's he's basically had an argument with his wife, and he's been off telly for a few weeks. So DDP may go on and be a big deal, and this potentially is the start of it because he's, you know, uh, spoiler alert to everyone who's not seen the pay-per-view yet, Page wins. Uh, he, he's going to go on and have a title shot. 
And there's big firework display when Paige wins the Battle Royal and all this sort of stuff. So this is potentially the start of it. They're trying to get more uh, more eyes on DDP. But up to this point, he hasn't been a big deal. Yeah, definitely, mate. And I feel like he's in the rebuilding phase. Mm. Yes, yeah. Hopefully get rid of those neon green tights. Yes. <laughs> but there we go. Yeah. We have Diamond Dallas Page heading for a title match in the future, Danny. This um, just going back to your point about the pinning and think, when that happened, I just remember thinking, what? Just why didn't anyone want to take a, a bump over the uh, top rope? I mean, I just yeah, a pinning in a. It's like um, I always think about the Macho Man trying to pin Yokozuna at the '93 Royal Rumble, and I think, what was he thinking? <laughs> oh. In kayfabe, of, of course. But like, what was he thinking as a kayfabe character to just pin Yokozuna in the Royal Rumble? It's one of the worst finishes I've ever seen. That was terrible. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, but there we go. Darren Dallas Page has won himself a lovely new ring. Nice bit of jewelry there. Apparently, he's got a $500 cigar, according to Bobby Heenan, that his financial benefactor, who was mentioned again a lot during this match, has bought for him. Uh, yeah, so and, and Paige is, is off to the races, I guess. What follows is Mean Gene again. This time, though, without the ladies from Hooters, he is joined by the Giant and Jimmy Hart. And the Giant basically runs through how he's going to beat Sting. Sting is like a little a, a, an annoyance to him, a little nuisance. And at one point, he describes Sting as a cockroach in his apple pie. <laughs> I'm not sure what um, significance that had, but um, I did write down um, the Giants promos are getting better and they're getting less cartoonish aside from that. But uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. We also, we get a mention from Jimmy Hart about Lex Luger. Cause I mean, we've got one match left on the cards and it's our main event. It's, it's the world title match between Sting and the Giant. And Jimmy Hart is saying, Lex, we don't have to do this. We don't have to be handcuffed together. Now, to my knowledge, and again, Danny, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm I am quite absent-minded. To my knowledge, this is the very first mention we've had of Jimmy Hart being handcuffed to Lex Luger. I'm telling you, Sai, we need to watch Saturday night so that we oh, can for... see these little toys. <laughs> God's sake! <laughs> I feel like we are missing a lot of um, of a uh, story about that. Maybe that was announced the night before. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. There are things that happen on Saturday night that influence Nitro and so on. But I mean, just literally from the time viewpoint, the Nitro is going to go two hours in the next week or two. Adding Saturday night to our schedule, my God. (laughs) I'll be drawing my pension by the time we finish. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Jimmy Hart is to be handcuffed to Lex Luger on the outside of the ring. We have our introductions, our entrances. Sting looks fantastic. The giant is uh, described as being from a part of the world unknown to man, which makes absolutely no fucking sense at all. But I suppose it sounded good to Mr. Buffer when he made his notes. I think parts unknown would have done. (laughs) Mm, Exactly. Exactly. Um, We start as we have done, I suppose, with quite a few giant matches recently with the babyface challenger, attacking the champion and the giants just no selling everything and it's brilliant this is how the giants should be booked definitely mate it's the proverbial baby face uh, chopping down the tree isn't it exactly 
Uh, one of my favorites is the crossbody by Sting because he builds up a lot of pace running the ropes. And Sting is not a small guy. He's announced here as being 6'2", 240-something pounds, I think they said he was, maybe. And he tries to hit this crossbody, and it is literally a splat. He hits the giant's chest. So that's quite a height as well. And the giant doesn't move, and Sting just hits the mat. And it was I mean, on one aspect, it was comical. On the other aspect, it was really well done. And really, really realistic because if you do that in a pub fight, you're going to land on the floor. And you... <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried to cross body anyone in my local Weatherspoons. Perhaps I should next time I go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sting... Actually, do you know, just, just to quickly, to fast forward to uh, Jingle all the way, this maneuver was done to the big show. And um, I believe it was Arnold Schwarzenegger who fell on the ground. <laughs> the big show's in Jingle all the way, is he? Yeah, he's, he plays the centre at the end of it. Didn't you know? No, I don't, I don't think I've seen that film. Oh, yeah. Well, well, that would be, be a surprise to absolutely nobody. I've not seen it, Danny. <laughs> Maybe you can <laughs> review it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe for Christmas we'll have a look. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not making any promises, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get drop kicks from Sting, a sleeper hold and so on, uh, a body slam that he gets the giant up and I thought, bloody hell, he's going to slam him here. But it ends up just getting with sting splatted. Nothing works for sting. And again, brilliant booking. This is how the giant should be booked. Definitely. A leg scissors by the giant, um, crushing sting f- around the body. They go out to the aisle and are fighting out in the aisle for a little while. And then we get a really clever spot here. I think Danny, where the giant goes to choke slam sting through a table in the same way. He got Luger in a previous nitro. But Luger puts Jimmy Hart in the way, so the giant can't can't do it. I, I laughed, but also I thought that's brilliant because it's a throwback to Luger getting the choke slam. Yeah, that was so perfectly booked. Um, and yeah, brilliantly done, brilliantly done. Uh, Luger saves Sting at one stage as well from a, a, a drop kick from the giant. Now. As, as dramatic as that moment is because Lugo is getting more and more involved and we get a few ref bumps and Jimmy Hart involved and, and lots of other nonsense. It's quite easy to sort of forget just how impressive that is. The Giants 470 odd pounds and he's seven foot whatever. And he throws a drop kick that was level with Sting's face and Sting is six foot two. That's an incredible feat of athleticism. That really is. I mean, the Giant in his 20s is just, just, impossible to do that just today uh luger inadvertently hits the referee uh so we have our first ref bump the giant then gets hit with a stinger splash then the giant has luger by the throat and sting keeps trying to stinger splash him to make him let go and here we get your typical wcw lots of moving parts too much going on crazy finish aspect to your world title match because sting there's a stinger splash that's missed on Jimmy Hart. Um, the sting then stumbles backwards, turns, falls, and headbutts the giant in the balls, which I, I did laugh at that, to be fair. Yeah, same. Uh, sting then splashes the giant from the top rope. The ref, the ref then is thrown up in the air as the giant kicks out. Sorry, Sting is thrown up in the air as the giant kicks out and lands on the ref. So that's our second ref bump. The Scorpion leg lock is applied by Sting. And then we have Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger battling over the megaphone on the apron. 
which flies out of their hands in a real slapstick kind of Laurel and Hardy way, hits Sting in the head. We have a choke slam, and then the three count. So Sting is beaten. The giant retains. And it's that question of did Luger throw the megaphone? And again, you, I like the aspect of we're still playing on that. Where does Luger's loyalties lie? Yeah. But, I but mean, there's too much going on in this finish, Danny, isn't there? It was. I had to watch it a couple of times uh, to see what Lex Luger was doing. I mean, did he pull Jimmy Hart away or did, or, or was it on purpose or was it not on purpose? It's just so many questions, but yeah, a bit much going on. But I am happy that we got a clean finish uh, from the Giant because, um, yeah, he needed it. I mean, he's being booked really, really well. And I really enjoyed this match. I mean, I, I understand what you mean. We got the Giant making the pinfall one, two, three in the center of the ring. But I, I wouldn't describe it as a clean finish because we've got two ref bumps. We've got the megaphone getting thrown around and stuff. There's a, there's a lot of, I think it's Pat Patterson that said there's a lot of gaga going on. Yeah. But I know what you mean with regards to, it's not a DQ or a counter. Yeah. The, giant, the giant actually pinned his opponent. I mean, that is quite important. The results. Yeah. Yes. And that's basically it, isn't it? That's the end of the show. <laughs> Yep, and what I love about it is that it gives you a reason to tune in to Nitro uh, tomorrow night. It's like, okay, we're going to find out if Lex Luger did do that on purpose or if he didn't. Um, and we're going to find out what was next for DDP and so many others. Savage is a big one as well. Yeah. He's, he's yep. apparently having some kind of mental evaluation of some description. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting show. Going to be an interesting and, show. And what will happen with Mongo McMichael as well? That's what I'm oh, really yes. interested in. Yes, so there's of so many questions. I hope Flair doesn't hurt the little dog. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so then, Danny, I suppose all that's left for us to do before we give our social medias and sign off is to rate the show in our usual way. So we need to give this a hit, miss, or middling. But before that, we need to give it a oh brother and a woo our positives and our negatives our good points and our bad points brother 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 brothers brother brother do you want to go first or second my friend i'll go second this week sir okie doke i will start with my oh brother uh it's the crowd for me i i'm not completely pointing the finger at them because i think that there's a long there's a long wrestling show that they've had to sit through there's a lot of people involved, a lot of nonsense wrestling matches that we've sat here and just panned. So I can appreciate that if you're in the crowd, you're not going to be too happy. However, when you're watching Dean Malenko wrestle as well as he did, when you're watching Jushin Liger and Conan put on a show that they did, to still just sit there on your hands yawning is bullshit to me. Yeah. Again, WCW is partially at fault for the length of the card, how much they had going on. Uh, it's too much, and they didn't really tell a story with regards to these title matches. But at the same time, that's a key for me. Their title matches, the fans, I think, in the arena that night, let a couple of the matches down with having zero reaction for them. Yeah, I can see that as a point as well, mate. Is That would be similar to my one, but my one was... Um, uh, oh brother was uh, too many matches on the card and the fact that I had to just stop this three times to watch it uh, in full because it was just exhausting yeah again that 
ties into what I said as well. And I'm not completely blaming the crowd because I fell asleep during this. So I can understand where they're coming from. But at least I still, when we had, you know, Liger and uh, Conan and Malenko, at least that's all grabbed my attention because I'm a wrestling fan. They just seem like they slept all the way through it. Yeah. yeah. My woo this week, my plus point, uh, there's, there is a couple to choose from despite how much we panned from this event. Again, Malenko, Liger, Armstrong, Conan, all great stuff. Uh, Sting, I thought, was fantastic in the main event. But I'm going to go with Bobby Heenan this week, because even when the matches were dull and terrible and ploddy and punchy, kicky bullshit again, it it keeps coming up this week, but it is what it is. Bobby Heenan made me laugh over and over and over again. This is a brilliant performance on commentary by Bobby Heenan. Yeah, I can see that, mate. My um, would definitely be the Mongo McMichael confrontation with Ric Flair because it oh, okay. saved. Yeah, it, it saved um, me from watching another match. I feel like <laughs> it, it was like <laughs> a nice break, and um, I think it only lasted about eight minutes, but it was so good because it was so it was refreshing. But then straight after that, we got another battle ball match. But um, that's not the hero. That, that definitely saved the pay-per-view for me. Yeah, well, that's a great show. That's a great show. And again, it comes back to telling stories, I guess. Uh, this is going to be interesting. Hit, miss or middling, Danny? It's actually a high miss for me this week. So it's, um, it's definitely not one I would go back and watch. Um the finishes were, I mean, there was a lot, there were some clean finishes, but a lot weren't. And it was just too many matches for me. And then to come to the conclusion of the battle royal where you can pin wrestlers, that wasn't explained. That kind of just let it down for me. But um, yeah, how about you, mate? I, I, it was difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm similar in a similar ballpark to you. I was on the fence between a, a very, very low middle and a miss. I was very much, uh, and, and each time I thought about what I was going to give it, I, I would change my mind again. The, uh, you mentioned there about going back and watching it again. That's always a big guide for me whenever I'm rating anything wrestling orientated. Mm. Uh, when, when we rate things on chain wrestling and so on as well, and, and, and here with our ratings for this show and Nitros, I would watch Conan Liger again. I would watch Melenko Armstrong again. But there's nothing else on the show I think that I would go back and watch. So for me, yeah. it probably does because of that. Two matches in a show that had, what, 13, 14 matches? It's not enough to drag it out of the, out of the miss territory. So it's a miss for me as well, bud. Yeah, I completely see that. Okay, there we go. So join us next week where we look at the Monday Night Nitro that follows this pay-per-view lots of unanswered questions lots of things to find out about as well luger uh savage flair there's so much going on you know mongo at michael as well gonna be an interesting nitro i think danny but before we depart do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all the great shows and content you are involved in Yep, you can follow me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be discussing the post Slambury um, Nitro with the great Cy Powell. 
Well, you're very kind. You're very kind. Uh, you can follow the network that carries this show at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. So many brilliant shows covering television, music, uh, nostalgia, past wrestling, present wrestling, so much. And the, the new shows all the time as well. There's so much there. It takes me too long to describe it now. But there you go, at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. Make sure you are following the shows online. And also make sure that you are subscribed to the network and the separate channels and separate streams for each show on whatever podcast player it is you use whether that's apple spotify podcast addict which whichever it is and chuck us a big fat five-star review because we are fucking fantastic and if you don't agree with us just lie no one will know but also also go into the description of this episode click on the link have a little look at the merch that's available for all the different shows including nitro nights there's some, some brilliant nitro night shirts there a t-shirt you know, the, it has the words, the wrestling encyclopedia across the front, because who needs Google when you can just ask Scottish Danny? There's so many different options there. A Hulk Hogan t-shirt, very much mocking the great orange one. You know, you'll finish. I'll kick out on two, brother. There's and, and stuff for all the other shows as well. Go and check those out uh, in the description for the episode. Click on the link, have a little look, and uh, yeah, treat yourself to some goodies, some mugs, some hoodies, whatever else. Danny, I'd love to say that I've really enjoyed this, but that'd be a lie. I can see that, mate. Um, looking forward to the nitro next week. And me, and me. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. Let's let's have the NWO. I'm re- after this pay per view. I'm ready to see the black and white knife. Definitely, me too, mate. Okay, I'll speak to you next week, my friend. Take care, mate. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>